Hello, and welcome back to Mind the Sugars, a reoccurring mini-series on the cure centered around inpatient diabetes management. There's a lot to know about diabetes in general, and we hope to use these podcast sessions to empower providers with educational content to help manage an increasingly complex patient population and to think about one of the most widely used and also most potentially dangerous medications out there, insulin. We recently published additional educational content that is available via the Dartmouth Health intranet website under Diabetes Toolkit to help solidify this material. There are 15 questions that are on QStream that is available to review a lot of this information that was built to help reinforce a lot of these key topics we're going over. The goal of this second clinical episode that we're recording now is to use the information regarding total daily dose insulin, or TDI, in a clinical scenario to help better understand what it would look like when admitting a patient to the hospital. Insulin ordering is obviously a very nuanced decision, and these initial podcasts are meant to give a broad overview of the clinical framework we use to prescribe it. For now, we are depicting management guidelines for non-critically ill patients, think IC or step-down level, and we wanted to remind everyone again that this podcast is meant as an educational tool and not to supplant real-world clinical decision-making. Without further ado, I wanted to set a little context for this episode in order to frame this with a clinical scenario that is not too uncommon in modern medicine and to help reinforce the discussion about total daily dose insulin and what implementing it actually looks like. You're admitting a 74-year-old male named John who is presenting to Dartmouth Health emergency room with right lower extremity cellulitis that has been unresponsive to three days of oral antibiotics that his PCP prescribed him. He has a medical history to include coronary artery disease with a remote three-vessel cabbage, transient ischemic attack, two-drug hypertension, non-insulin-dependent diabetes type 2 complicated by peripheral neuropathy with a recent A1C of 9.8. His home meds for this include metformin and nightly glargine 30 units. Obesity class 3, he is a BMI of 41 and his weight is 100 kilograms. He also has CKD stage 3B. Before we delve into the discussion, we wanted to give you some questions to help frame the clinical decision making we are undertaking. Please feel free to pause after each question to answer on your own. We will review these questions at the end as well. Question 1. How well controlled is John's diabetes? What would you want his A1C to ideally be if you were his PCP? Question two, what dose of basal insulin would you want to start him on while admitting him? Question three, what insulin to carbohydrate ratio would you order, presuming he will be eating at baseline while hospitalized? Question four, if correctional insulin was needed, what ratio or correction factor would you use? Thanks. I know that was a lot, but hopefully this will help frame the conversation going forward. I now wanted to reintroduce my colleague who I recorded the first episode with, Eddie Johnson, who's one of our endocrinology advanced practitioners, who has many years of educational experience and clinical diabetes wisdom to impart. Take it away, Heidi. Thanks, Sage. The first question we want to ask ourselves is how well controlled is this patient's diabetes on their current regimen? We use 9% as a cutoff when admitting patients, but it's important to look at the bigger context of their diabetes. How long have they carried this diagnosis? What is the trend of their A1Cs? Has there been a recent change in prescriptions? Is there a good engagement of their PCP? These are important factors to consider along with the patient's age and health status. For the sake of this podcast, we will say that John has been on his prescription regimen for a long time. 
He is overdue for a follow-up with his PCP, and there has been no change to his A1Cs over the last year. This means John's average blood sugar has been almost 240, which definitely leaves room for improvement. Yeah, I agree with that, Heidi. Now, is this someone that you would recommend that we consult the diabetes management team as they are admitted to the hospital? Yes, the recommendation is anything above 9 for an A1C, or if they've had a blood sugar over 300 or less than 70. Okay, good. It is important to remember that we can use this hospitalization on top of treating cellulitis to optimize his diabetes care and set him up for longitudinal success, as well as try to get him re-engaged with his primary care. We will discuss metformin in a later episode, but for the sake of this conversation, John has mild pre-renal hypovolemic AKI on admission, necessitating metformin hold. We usually hold metformin up front, given constant fluctuations in renal function for admitted patients. He also has CKD3B, so metformin needs to be carefully monitored and possibly even discontinued. In general, when patients are more stabilized and nearing discharge, we can reconsider reintroduction of their oral diabetic meds, including metformin. I agree, and I think that's common knowledge around metformin. How about for insulin? Do we need to consider some sort of dose adjustment with patients who have kidney disease or coming in with acute kidney injury? Yes. A lot of times when they have a decline in kidney function, they actually require less insulin than the general population. And how do you usually approach that? How much dose adjustment do you make if they are coming in with some sort of kidney injury? I kind of take three variables into consideration. I look at if they're on any insulin now. Then I also consider weight-based based on their BMI and then based if they were new to insulin. And then I kind of squish them together and make that decision. Those are all very important factors to consider. Thanks, Heidi. Going back to the case, we can use his BMI to determine which insulin correction factor we should use. His BMI of 41 means we will use a correction factor of 0.6 units per kilogram. His weight is 100 kilograms, so we will multiply that by the 0.6 and get 60 units of insulin as his total daily insulin dose. To get his basal requirement, we generally take half of his total daily insulin, which is about 30 units, which is currently what he's taking at home. And we've noticed because of his A1C that it's inadequately controlling him. Before ordering this dose, you need to consider why this dose was inadequate. Was he consistent in taking his medication? Did he miss any doses? Was he skipping it altogether? Was he only taking it when his blood sugars were above 200? Was it given at the wrong time? When did he last take this dose? Yeah, you know, I think it's not uncommon for us to find it challenging to answer all these questions given that, right, most of our patients are acutely ill and they may not always be able to provide that information. I'm just wondering what your approach has been to help answer those questions before you make decisions around insulin dose for their hospital stay. So depending on the time, if you have time to either speak with family or call what pharmacy they're using to confirm those doses and when the prescriptions were last filled, those are helpful. Unfortunately, if it's in a critical setting, you can't always make that decision. 
So a lot of times I will stick with a weight base or their home base and then divide it in half. So give like on the land, just give 15 now and then 15, 12 hours later. Because then if the 15 is too much, we know to adjust instead of giving the full 30. Yeah. And in general, you've told this to me before, but low and slow is kind of the mantra with all these different medical comorbidities in this setting. Exactly. So that definitely makes sense. Going back to the case, to calculate meal-associated ratio or how much insulin we anticipate it will take to cover the carbohydrates the patient consumes, we use the rule of 500. We take 500 and divide it by the total daily insulin dose. We just calculated his total daily insulin dose at 60. So we would take 500 divided by 60 and you get about eight and a third. And we'd round down safely to eight. This means for every eight grams of carbohydrates, we expect one unit of short-acting insulin to cover what the patient consumes. If John was placed on a level two carb control diet, meaning he can order up to 60 grams with breakfast and lunch and 75 with supper, we need a range of zero to 10 to cover the carbs in his meals. These are both normal physiologic insulin we are replicating in John so far, a continuous basal insulin and bolus for short-acting insulin when carbs are consumed. We in the endocrinology world call this basal bolus. We want to lean on these two types of insulin primarily for all hospitalized patients. But if blood sugars become elevated while on this regimen, we also want to be able to bring it back down. This is non-physiologic, given the body does not normally regulate blood sugars in this manner. We want to aim for a blood glucose between 100 and 180 in hospitalized patients. Yeah, and how do you approach that? So I assume that that will be your initial dose. You're seeing that your patient is still hyperglycemic. So how do you, in general, make those adjustments, and how often should we be doing that in the hospital? So if we're going by weight-based, we're going to use the rule of 1,500. We would divide his total daily dose into the 1,500, and you'd get your correction factor. In this case, it would be 25. And then if we're not sure how sensitive or how the insulin's going to play out, I always recommend the first 24 hours doing corrections every four hours because that's going to give you a better idea of how much insulin they actually require. Because if they're getting that correction every four and they still remain high, then you know that you could safely increase it by probably 20% to try and bring that blood sugar down. Great, thank you. And I did have another question real quick on the carb-controlled diet. This patient obviously is suboptimally controlled at home, and I don't want to say we're assuming anything, but the diet that we usually place patients on level two, I would say, is not reflective of the general kind of American diet on how much carbohydrates our patients are eating. How do you approach placing patients on a level two carb control diet versus liberalizing them to maybe a three or a four? Generally for women, we look at 30 to 45 grams of carbs per meal. And men, we look at 45 to 60 grams of carbs per meal is the typical American diet healthy eating. That's really all that's required in a day. But if you have people that are on cancer treatments or their CF where they need more calorie because their bodies are burning more, then we tend to allow a little bit more. We might have an unlimited carb ratio. As long as you're covering the carbs, it really doesn't matter what they're eating. Great. And like you said, monitoring their glucose closely, especially in the first 24 hours and making those adjustments, we can always change the carb ratio Correct. throughout the hospitalization. Great. Thanks, Heidi. You're welcome.
Again, going back to the case, typically we use a sliding scale of insulin to help control elevated blood sugars. There is nothing wrong with this as long as we are continuously addressing the appropriateness for the patient. In our system, we have presets, sensitive, moderate, and resistant. Sensitive is the 1 to 40 carb ratio. Moderate is a 1 to 20 carb ratio. And resistant is a 1 to 10 carb ratio. And then there's the custom where we could, like with the 25, we could make our own correction scale. We can also choose testing them four times a day or every four hours. We can also mathematically assess how sensitive we think our patient will be based on the rule of 1500. We take our total daily insulin dose, 60 units, and divide it into 1500. Again, for John, we get 25 as correction factor. This means that for every one unit of short-acting insulin, we expect any hyperglycemia to drop by 25 points. So if his blood sugar is 205 and we give him one unit, we expect his glucose to drop to 180. Great. Thank you. Do you mind just quickly going over how you think about correction factor versus a sliding scale, just for people who may not be familiar? It's basically the same thing, just a different name. It used to be called sliding scale, and then slowly it started to be calling correction scale, which I think is more appropriate because that's what we're doing. But between the two, like meal associated and correction, if you kind of make an adjustment between those two, always make the adjustment with the carb ratio versus the correction factor. Okay, great. Thanks for explaining that. I just wanted to get a little bit of clarity because there are these two different terms, but it sounds like they're basically synonymous. Correct. Yeah, and that's helpful too. Absolutely, Jose. So we've covered a lot. We wanted to bring it back at the end here to those beginning questions to help reinforce what we just went over. So our first question was, how well controlled is John's diabetes? What would you want his A1C to ideally be if you were his primary care doctor? As Heidi went over, unfortunately, John has suboptimally controlled diabetes, and we could think about using his home regimen if his A1C was under 9. However, it's 9.8. Ideally, in the primary care world, we would want John's A1C to be between 7 and 8, given his comorbidity age. Question two was, what dose of basal insulin would you want to start him on while admitting him? And as Heidi went over, based off of our total daily dose insulin calculation and dividing that over two, we would anticipate 30 units of long-acting insulin to be a good place to start based off of the EMI and weight, and maybe even going low and slow and dividing that into 15 and reassessing over the first 24 hours to see how he responds. The third question was, what insulin to carbohydrate ratio would you order, presuming he will be eating at baseline while hospitalized with his carb control level two diet? And... We did the math with the rule of 500 and came up with 1 to 8 being a good insulin-to-carb ratio. The final question was, if correctional insulin is needed, what ratio or correction factor would we use? And we calculated a correction factor of 1 to 25 using the rule of 1500, meaning that for every one unit of short-acting insulin, we anticipate the blood sugar to go down by 25 points. And that brings us to the end of our questions in review of this awesome case, Heidi, we really appreciate you kind of walking us through on how you, as the diabetes endocrine expert, thinks about bringing these complicated patients into the hospital. Thanks for having me. It was my pleasure. Heidi, just thinking about this episode, do you have any take-home points or pearls about what we've covered 
so far that you want people to remember? I mean, math is great to kind of get you to where you want to be, but you still have to look at the big picture and base your decisions on the whole picture. So with this gentleman with his kidney decline, you really want to look at starting low and going slow and monitoring him a lot more often versus someone who would be younger. You might want to be a little more aggressive with the insulin. Awesome. And I also just wanted to reinforce that these hospitalizations are great places to maybe circle the wagons on patients' diabetes care that could use a little bit more help and engage with the primary care doctor to set John up for success once we get him over his cellulitis and just reinforce a lot of important information while he's here. Yeah, I agree. Because a lot of the complications for diabetes is related with long-term control. Exactly. Thanks again for tuning in to Mind the Sugars. We really appreciate your time and hope to see you on the next episode.